0: Join the conversation now on the WVMT Morning Drive with Kurt and Anthony.
1: 888-414-0303. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here on this Wednesday morning. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. And joining us in studio now is Derek Brower. Is that Don't my no, pronouncing your last name right? You are Brower. Brower. Uh, from seven days and first of all i want to just say uh the reporting on this story Derek, is i think award-winning journalism and you in seven days ought to get an award maybe you will at some point because this was above and beyond the call what you did in the story you you this is the story let's just set this up a little bit here first um seven days story the head the it's the cover story the fight for decker towers drug users and homeless people have overrun a low-income high-rise residents are gearing up to evict them now you this story's been on cx a couple of times but you went in and really dug in to see what's really going on there and literally spent not the whole night but seven nights you were in there till like midnight
2: yeah on some nights yeah yeah
1: and so what did just start out describing it to us what did you see
2: yeah i mean this is a this is a building it's it's the tallest building in Vermont, at least it has been for a long time, and um, so it's 11 stories of apartments, mostly studio and one bedroom. So there are 160 people who live in the building. Um, elderly and uh, and disabled people are eligible to live there. So they are living there, and they have uh, their own community um, that they are trying to preserve. But at the same time, uh, over the last uh, you know couple of years, and particularly this winter, it seems... Um, there is a more or less constant stream of people who do not live there coming into the building to uh, do a variety of things, uh, whether it's to buy drugs, uh, use drugs in the stairwells or in the hallways or the laundry rooms um, or, to, uh, or to sleep there uh, because there uh, is no shelter space in the city and there are more people than, than shelter beds. And so the stairwells. And some other places inside Decker Towers have become a de facto overflow shelter.
1: And so how are, this is obviously got to be an incredible problem for the, the people who actually live there. It seems like there's a myriad of problems here, um, including the fact that, I mean, you talk about this. Isn't part of the problem also among the many problems that some of the tenants, because some people say, well, just have the police come in and clear them out. and, and uh, Or the people running the building should Should fix it, but it's not that easy, right? Because you have tenants, some of which let some of the people in, and there's drug dealing going on inside the building.
2: Yeah, that's a a very important point, Kurt. I think uh, that's why this problem is not easy to solve. Uh, Tenants have a right to have guests in in a building, uh, and uh, a number of the people who are coming in and out are visiting somebody, um, in, in part because the building has had issues with tenants uh, being uh, becoming part of the drug trade, uh, whether that's you know willingly or uh, through some form of of exploitation or whatnot, but there are uh, there have been numerous tenants that the Burlington Housing Authority, which runs this building, uh, believes have been uh, dealing drugs from from their unit. So there is a draw to the building uh, in this way, and then on top of that, um, because it is so large and because it has so much so many common areas in it it is very difficult to lock down the building. And the housing authority has taken many steps to do that. I mean, when you walk into the lobby, first of all, the doors are now 1,000-pound latches because before people were able to actually rip them open. So they've reinforced the doors, uh, and, and they're locked. Once, but then you get into the lobby, and there is a monitor r- r- staring at you that has a live color surveillance feed in real time showing you that you're on camera in the building and these security cameras are wired throughout the common areas and there is an arrangement between the housing authority and the Burlington Police Department that the police detectives can actually tap into that in real time in certain circumstances to to look at it as well so there are these deterrents uh, and and yet uh, the problem seems to be as worse as it as it has ever been so far
1: they haven't made any difference it yeah. doesn't seemingly that have many difference I mean people are in the stairwell sleeping needles everywhere as you described
2: they there are yeah i mean the the stair people are are sleeping living using drugs in, in the stairwells there are 22 landings uh there's there's one stairwell up each tower quote unquote and uh and, and yeah I think there was uh the housing authority told me that uh in January when we had a cold snap that they their employees who sweep the stairwells every morning to tell people to move along found 23 people sleeping in the stairwells, which is almost as many as there are beds at the warming shelter just down the street at the VFW that the city runs.
1: And you talked to some of the people in the stairwells, right, who, uh, reading the article, some of them sort of feel like, hey, look, this has become our home almost.
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly what... um, Two women told me who who I met in the, in the stairwells and, uh, and and they actually pointed out that uh, you know people who are unhoused or in the city have been pushed away from other spaces that, that they've been uh, inhabiting, um, such as Memorial Auditorium, the YMCA downtown, and uh, as they've been pushed out of those central places and and places like City Park, City Hall Park, which uh, in, you know in winter is less appealing. They have uh, many have have come inside residential buildings in stairwells and landings, and it's not just Decker Towers, but Decker Towers is uh, is is its design and its its scale make it uh, you know kind of uh, an uh, an ideal sort of magnet for that. And
1: what's been the reaction to? I know you again a very in depth story here. You talked to a lot of the people who actually do live there and have apartments there. What's been the reaction you found from
2: living there. Well, you know, one of the most interesting things is I, I, I talked to you know a couple dozen residents uh, while I was spending time there, and uh, I was really interested in how uh, how thoughtful they were about the situation. That that people there have a variety of. I mean, it's a it's a very diverse mix. It's a, it's it's truly a neighborhood. And so there are people from all sort of political persuasions who live in the building and they and they get along and they come at this from different angles. Um, But, uh, you know, so many people there have been struggling with what to do. The challenge is literally in their living room, whereas for so many other people in the city, it is much more abstract, I think. Or it is something that you may encounter while you're shopping downtown and it may make you feel uncomfortable for a second or you may not know how to respond uh, to somebody who's behaving strangely. But uh, this is literally inside their, their home all the time. Yeah, the contrast
0: is you you get in your car and drive away or walk to your home and, and and can kind of close the door behind you. But these folks are literally inside their home. Exactly,
2: yeah. And so they have been thinking about this a lot. Sure. And over time, as this has worn on, they uh, many of them are, are struggling to remain patient with this. They... And, and they have really uh, many have really reached a point, I think, where they uh, have realized or decided that they can't they can't put up with it anymore, that it's not fair to them. Uh, these are people who are are living uh, on low incomes, fixed incomes, almost exclusively. And uh, they rely on a federal housing voucher to have the to have their apartment. So. Those are, uh, it is very hard to find a place with, with a voucher right now. So they don't really have another place to go. Uh, and so they have been thinking about what to do, struggle and, and sort of torn between compassion and, and frustration. And in the last few weeks, really, where this story is, is what the story is chronicling is uh, the last couple of weeks leading up to a, a pretty momentous event for residents there, which was uh, they, they've organized and voted. Last week to form a resident council. And then the first action that resident council took was to form a neighborhood watch. And their idea for this is that uh, residents will volunteer and and run patrols through the building in which they are armed with a variety of types of self-defense and and other weapons and uh, and also man the doors to try to stop people from coming in and kick people who are inside out. And
1: will they? Will they be able to kick people out that they run into in the sterile? Some people, are, I mean, according to your article, are you had to step over people who were totally out of it at times, or or maybe would just refuse to leave? I guess how would they handle that?
2: Yeah, I think um, it's it's hard to know how this is going to play out, and frankly, I'm I'm nervous for everybody involved that that this uh, could somebody could get hurt in in the process of this. Um, based on what I saw, it's, it's the, the encounters are, can be volatile. I mean, people are in survival mode when they are, you know, they, if they had another place to go that they thought was better or they would be less in the way, I think they, most of them would, but they don't. And, and so, uh, as, as you pointed out, you know, with, as one woman told me, this feels like the closest thing she has to home. And what, and the other thing she told me was that, you know, she's perfectly willing to make somebody angry in order to stay warm. If that's what she has to do, she's going to do it. So I think that, that sort of survival mode that people are in as well as the levels of intoxication and and other issues they may have uh, kind of make this uh, ripe for confrontation. Uh, And so, and there have been already. And in fact, the night before the vote to form the neighborhood watch, a group of residents said they, went out and did a dry run of this. And during that process, they encountered a guy who would not leave. And uh, somebody ended up pepper spraying a stairwell. In the, uh, and he was screaming at 1 in the morning. And the police the police came. As I understand it, I was not there for this moment. But I understand they got him out of the building. But uh, the next morning, uh, my photographer was there with uh, BHA employees who were doing rounds through the stairwells. And, and that man was was back in the stairwells that
1: morning again. we're talking to Derek Brower from seven days who has written a in-depth article about this situation at Decker Towers on St. Paul Street in Burlington which just seems to have become almost literally a war zone and I think this is going to end up being an award-winning article if you have a question for Derek give us a call on the McKenzie Country Classic hotline 888 let's go to the phones good morning you're live on the morning drive yes good morning you know what what would be nice to know is uh if you spent some time asking these people what is bringing them here, why are they moving to the most expensive place in the country to live like this? I mean, these people can't be just, you know, kids that left, left a normal home and decided to go live in this building and, and become drug addicts in Burlington. These people can't be from here. They must be moving here from somewhere. And I'd like to know why what's bringing them here.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh you know, I don't know. I did not talk to everybody who was in the stairwells, but uh, several who I did. And I also looked up their their criminal records as well. And, um, you know, the, the two women in the story who I spoke to, they've been in Burlington for years. Uh, uh, you know, I can I can see it in their in, in their in their file uh, as well. Um, so and then there's another there's a young man who I talk about in the story uh, who does not live in Decker, but is, is a frequent presence. He's 20 years old and, and homeless, and he's also from the area. Uh, too. Uh, so I think it is, um, I think, I think there is a mix of people, but I, it's, uh, I think it's also wrong to, to uh, assume that everybody is, is coming here.
1: Uh, Derek, can you also talk about, we touched on this a little bit, but about the difficulty, more about the difficulty with keeping people out of the building. Cause again, you, I, I know some people listening to this and probably we all would think this initially, like, you Know, keep the doors locked. There's got to be a way to keep people out, but uh, even with people guarding the door, I mean, in your article, there would come a point where the door would open and people would just kind of force their way in, and the doors opening back and forth a lot, right? Yeah,
2: it is. Yeah, I mean, with 160 people, um, uh, it's 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 a busy front door, and uh, the door also is uh, you know, it's a handicap accessible door because of the nature of the building, and so it's extra wide. And it opens, uh, it's, it's on an electronic, you know, opening uh, device. And so um, when it opens, it stays open for long enough for a wheelchair to get through. And, and is it also true that there are at least,
1: maybe it's a minority, but there are at least some residents who actually want to let them in because they feel
2: bad for them? There are, uh, you know, I my understanding is there are some residents who do let people inside um, who may be their visitor or, or not. It's, it's not always clear um, but there are you know there are also residents who are are not happy with the situation but are also uh, feel um, f- feel unsatisfied with the idea that the solution is to is to force every, everybody out uh, too because um, you know I think it's worth mentioning and this was one of the things that I learned having spent some time with the people who live there is that this community is made up of so many people who under like people who live in Decker Towers. Many of them they have not lived lives of comfort. Something has been difficult in their life, and for some of them that is substance abuse, uh, uh, of various kinds in the past, or homelessness. Uh, you know, part of the housing authority's mission, ironically, is to is to uh, avoid homelessness. So they are their mission is, and in, in this is to. Um, Help house people who who were homeless or or are at risk of being homeless, so they understand some of the struggles that the people who are now using the building are going through um, but they are you know many of them are at a different point in in their life now.
1: Do the residents feel unhappy with the city's response?
2: I think what I heard was was frustration with a lot of different entities I heard uh there is certainly frustration with the their points of contact and the housing authority, who's directly responsible for for running the building. Uh, There is also a feeling amongst people that this is a community problem, that they are being asked to shoulder and have, in fact, been shouldering in this disproportionate way. And so that the solutions here are are not just within the housing authority's purview, but they are also a, a city and state responsibility. So they have been they have been writing their congressional representatives they've been writing the governor's office lawmakers uh, and uh city officials as well what about the um and i and, and maybe you can help me understand this it,
0: they, they there was an article or the the folks from the housing authority said well we have some people that we know are dealing drugs and they let their customers in mm-hmm. um so it seems to me like the 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 residents would want to get rid of the drug dealers. I mean, because they're, they're, in my mind, and, and you can help me with this, there are people like you said that have been here many years that are in the hallways that that um, they're they're homeless. In my mind, there's two separate groups of people that are there. There are people there that are dealing drugs and using at a level that it is making them unsafe for other people and themselves. And then there's a group of people that are homeless. That are seeking shelter, that may be uh, they may have addiction issues, but um, they're they're not as harmful to themselves or others. Does that make sense? Is it is there is there a separation in in kind of the, the people that are flooding into the building?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there are. Yeah, there it would be wrong to to paint everybody with the same with the same brush. I think in that you are also making an important point about uh, about tenants who are are part of the problem in yeah. this way so residents have been pushing the housing authority to um, deal with that and the housing authority has been over the last year they've evicted nine tenants in the building and told me that they have several and a couple this year already too even though we're just in february and they have some more in the pipeline but one of the problems from the housing authority's perspective and the housing authority did talk to me. I interviewed the executive director for four hours, and uh, what what they say is that it is taking too long to evict tenants who they suspect of drug dealing, and that in the interim, they also note that you know drug dealing is, is, is drug trafficking is a crime, and they are their experience is that they're not uh, they're also not being arrested in the right. interim while their while their eviction is pending. So it is taking many months to remove tenants who they think are part of the problem. Have they been, um, um, have you, did you talk to
0: anybody from the ACLU? I did not for the story. I have in the past. Well, be, only because you, I hear anecdotally all around the state, not just in Burlington, that when an encampment or people are, are someplace in, in uh, quasi-public or uh, places, the ACLU will call and tell the, the local government, leave them alone or we're going to lawyer up. And I didn't know if the ACLU was defending the people that were perhaps trafficking the.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't drugs. think I don't think we've gotten I don't think that has come up yet. Not that okay. I'm aware of. Here, I know there are uh, the ACLU has. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of generally aware. Has done some advocacy around issues around uh, you know trespassing people from public property and things as well, uh, and and some of the the ways that cities have tried to crack down on on people. I would, Derek, you, yeah. well,
1: I, we're almost out of time. I want to get to another little point here, um, Derek. Steve Murray, you said you, the executive director, you, you interviewed him for four hours. He testified in front of the legislature, um, and you said that he, he got in a little bit of hot water, so to speak, with the mayor because he criticized the Burlington police. Um, of course, we know one of the issues here is the Burlington police is understaffed, and it's hard for them to be constantly over there, right, as much as they would have to be. Um, can you talk about that a little bit, about Steve Murray's testimony in front of the legislature and, and why yeah. the mayor was unhappy with him?
2: Sure. Yeah, the uh, Steve Murray testified as part of a I think it was almost a day long hearing at the legislature about public safety issues. So he was one of many people who testified, and and he uh, his his testimony was very memorable because he threw out his prepared remarks and riffed, and, uh, and and he started along the lines of telling lawmakers, y'all don't see what we see, and that was sort of the tone of of his testimony. But one of the things he said. Well, it what he said to lawmakers is this is a cry for help I don't have the tools as the landlord here to deal with this problem so I need I need your help in different ways and in the course of that one of the points that he uh, made was that he said uh, that the police don't come when our residents call them and uh, the city takes issue with that uh, they they say it's wrong and they they sent me some data you know indicating that for the highest priority calls you know the city has this tiered response system that this Top priority calls. They have responded to them in every instance now. uh, So the city the city said that was inaccurate and that has led to a a dispute, I guess you could call it, between Murray and and the mayor's office um, in which in the days following this, the city says it's coincidental, the timing. But in the days following this, the mayor uh, decided not to reappoint the chair of BHA's board of commissioners. Because he appoints all the board members. He does. It's the one role the mayor has. Yeah, the housing authorities are a complicated sort of government entity. And they appoint the executive director. They do. So the mayor mayor told Steve Murray that he would uh, essentially not be reappointing Steve Murray's boss and has since made... uh, uh, a new appointment to that position as well as one other appointment to the five-person that's
1: brian Lowe who worked for the mayor
2: it is yeah former chief of staff yeah
1: and uh, let's get we're almost we're really out of time but let's see if we can get one quick call in here
0: good morning you're live on the morning drive good morning uh, i just pulled up your article and i did a little word search and i didn't see the word uh sarah george or george in there uh have you tried to contact her on the topic
2: yeah, thanks for the question. I I did talk to Sarah George um in particular around one detail that is in the story. Uh if you read the story, there's a um there is a section that that talks about a man who uh, has been going into the building and actually saw him be arrested by Burlington police. And uh he was then he spent the weekend in jail and then was released after going to court on on Monday uh, morning. And uh and, and there was sort of a cruel twist in this in that he was uh you know, he was arrested because he, he wasn't supposed to be at Decker, um, but he was out of jail on 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 a condition that he have a curfew. And uh, his public defender actually asked to have his curfew changed to Decker Towers, and uh, the state's attorney's office did not object to that. And so he was then uh, released from prison on, on new conditions that included a curfew that he stay at an apartment in Decker Towers. So he... Was then you know sort of legally required to be spending his nights in the building uh, at a particular apartment, and it wasn 't until a week later that uh, the police were called about him again and uh and I guess they asked the tenant, "Is this guy allowed to stay with you and uh, the tenant said no and and so uh they you know discovered that this was not uh, a
1: valid curfew a, a myriad of issues going on yep. here, Derek Brower from seven days. Thanks for giving us a preview of this cover story on this really, and and again, I think award winning reporting by you. Uh, kudos to you for actually getting in there seven nights and and seeing for yourself what's going on.
0: Thanks, Kurt. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming in. Appreciate all the work you do, and it's out today uh, on newsstand. Seven days uh, article. Thanks again. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk with uh, Andrew Sorry, Chris Hazley. Chris Hazley. Hais-